Welcome to the summer edition for this 25th day of January 2020, Australia Day Eve. And it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can hear us right across regional Queensland on 4SB, 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Scott Parkinson joins me in the studio. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Watson. And, and I just want to do a special shout out to those cricketers. I know there's a lot of cricket that gets played in Australia Day, but a special cricket tournament happening in Bar Calden. And at this point in time, it's, you know, about 2 or 3 o'clock in Saturday afternoon. The Cool Runnings side, we're running out, probably won their last three games. So good on you, Cool Runnings. <laughs> and Chris Simpson's probably just got 20 off about 400 balls. So well done to them. And uh, <laughs> via phone, Nick Backstrom from Brisbane. How are you, mate? Oh, good. Good afternoon, Wattie. Good afternoon, uh, Parker. And a big happy... Bold, ha- bold uh, call there, Parker. And a big yeah, happy birthday to the backbone of uh, this uh, organisation up here in Longreach. 50, <laughs> a belated 50th birthday to yourself, Nick. Um, uh, the milestone reached. It is a milestone. Raise the bat. Acknowledge that special girl in the crowd and move on. Uh, <laughs> 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 we shouldn't miss. We shouldn't miss. However, Parker's birthday is today. Yeah, well, happy um, birthday, mate. Yes. No, thank you, and thank you to all the listeners that sent me um, cards and well wishes. It's very much appreciated. Wade actually chimed in from deep cover. Sent me a <laughs> thanks for doing my job. So, Wade, you're welcome. Um, no, thank you, Nick. And mate, if I look as good as you in 15 years, I'll be doing well. <laughs> Boys, let's look at the Brisbane Heat and the absolute pile of oh, steaming gosh. crap they served up the other night. You look at both <laughs> of those sides, and, and dead set at their best, they beat any side in the world. It's a, it's got to be a mental issue with Brisbane, yeah. and I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Chris Lynn as captain. Now, there's no question that Chris Lynn on his day is is potentially the greatest batsman to watch, and even last night. Uh, sorry, last night, Thursday night, he started started quite well. And again, the Brisbane Heat, they were none for 34. Their run rate was fine, yet they lose these quick wickets. It's just, I don't know, there's something gone wrong. Um, and I think Chris Lynn may be the issue. Nick? Oh, yeah, that's a bold call. It's obviously, and um, we talk about culture all the time, something clearly not right with the Heat. Um, I think it's hard to knit together those sides because of the nature of the competition. Now, it's all about money. It's no, you know, there's no real loyalty to the club or anything else. So, um, up and on the other hand, other teams do it pretty well, and for some reason, Brisbane can't. And what about De Villiers? Like, is, should there be a clause in his contract? This bloke, he started halfway through the season, so he's only playing, I think, three, four games. Yes. Um, mm. He'd be on a, on, a, on a massive amount of money, Watsy. Should there be something in his contract, you know, around well, a performance-based deal? Well, when, I, when he stepped out in that first game, he just looked a cut above. Mm. He really did. He was just off the plane. He had a net session the day before, came out, made 44. But it, I, I go back to what you said, and I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense it's cultural. Mm. And if if there's that laissez-faire attitude, um, and Lynn's got it, you, it's in his demeanour. He doesn't carry himself. He just it's it's casual as cow crap, you know. Like that's his demeanour. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you. It's culture, and I agree with you that uh, it's it's a top-heavy type of thing. Yes, he should be on a performance-based salary. He may be. We don't know. But I guess the, the big issue for me, though, is, you know, we talk about the Australian test team. We sh- you can't defend the stumps. Like, you know, these players that are getting out for quick early runs. Well, 2020, yeah. even though we want that wham-bam, thank you, ma'am style cricket, and we want big runs and early and quickly, they've got to learn to bat within the game. Yes. Like the Heat players yeah. last night, I mean, Labuschagne, this is a guy who's playing so well for Australia, but he just, you know, stupid, silly shots. 
Yeah. Uh, Brisbane Broncos news coming out uh, in the last 36 hours that Alex Glenn will be the sole captain. This goes against the grain of popular thought earlier in the week that there was going to be co-captains. Mm. I think that seals the fate for Darius Boyd, and I think it's a correct decision going forward for the Broncos. Yeah, I'd, I, I think I'd potentially agree. I think if Darius Boyd was captain again, I mean, you're guaranteeing him a first-grade spot, and it's not a great look if your captain's playing reserve grade. Yeah. Um, it, it just would come across as they're, they're doing Darius Boyd favours. Darius Boyd's still part of the leadership group, but it's definitely a phase-out for him. And Alex Glenn, I mean, as you know, Frills footballer, he's not going to be a match winner, um, but he's very passionate. He, he, he captained the Broncos on a 20 side. To be honest, it's a PR, um, a good PR move from the Broncos, and I think he'll do well. Nick, in the first hour, we're going to kick off with uh, Black Caviar's trainer, Peter Moody, who is also the headline act at uh, the On The Bit Country Racing Awards in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a good chat chatting with him. I mean, horse racing is, I think, if you work in horse racing, I think it keeps your feet on the ground, no matter how well you're doing. Of course, you don't do much better than the Black Caviar, but uh, it's a tough sort of gig. And uh, yeah, he's a great one to talk to. Queensland Cricket out here in the West doing some great things this weekend with a double session at Bar Calden today and uh, Ilfracombe tomorrow, weather pending, and we talk to Hannah Clark. Yeah, uh, Hannah's a country cricketer herself with, um, you know, with uh, great experience, and uh, it's, you know, as we always talk about, the important thing in sport is getting the young kids involved, whatever your sport is, because that's obviously the lifeblood of any activity, and uh, it's great to see uh, Queensland cricket coming at what will be such a busy time of year as well out here in the West. One of the more fascinating chats we've had um, in the summer edition, Parker, comes up next with Gavin Badger, NRL referee, and dead set, we could have talked to him for days. Oh, we easily could have, and the, the amount of passion he has for the game. A very talented junior, which I never knew yeah. about, um, and play with some absolute stars. I mean, the, the referees in rugby league seem to have more of a personality than other sports. I mean, I can't name three AFL umpires, mm. um, or a tennis umpire, or a you know, um, but in in the NRL, these these referees they have a personality of their own. Um, and the badge, I mean, I think most NRL fans would know him. Um, but it was absolutely fascinating to find out the work behind the scenes, his goals, and what he has to do to keep himself ready for the for the NRL season. And then we talk all things uh, basketball with our correspondent, uh, former Bullets and Cairns Taipan legend Andre Moore. Yeah, former player, current legend. I mean, Andre's passion for basketball <laughs> is second, and I don't know, Nick. We had a great chat to him earlier in the year yeah. about his career, uh, but I guess it was more. It was it was interesting to just hear his thoughts um, about the current state of the NBL. Um, and also the NBA, which I think is becoming really, really popular in Australia, um, and basketball itself is just is just booming. It's a summer edition heard on the Resident Network right across regional Queensland. Uh, back with the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland on the Resident Network. You can catch us on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country Nick. That were the sounds of summer black caviar's great victories. Oh yeah, one of the uh, great sporting stories of uh, this century. The uh, famous uh, pink colours and the black dots. We've um, obviously been blessed over recent times in the Kiwi Diva Black mm. Caviar most recently wings, but for our Outback <laughs> profile today, we're going to uh, interview the trainer of Black Caviar, the boy from Wyandra, the great Peter Moody. Good afternoon. Afternoon, boys. Uh, you'll have to correct your colouring there. 
uh, caviar is salmon, and the colours are salmon and black spots. Hate to correct you this early in the yarn. No, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I, was, I used to work at uh, the train station at uh, Melbourne down there for uh, the big race days, and so I'd occasionally come across a bit of paraphernalia of, uh, of uh, black caviar. So <laughs> that was my only knowledge. <laughs> oh, Pete, um, first of all, thanks for your time uh, this afternoon and obviously uh, you'll be joining us at the uh, second annual On The Bit Country Awards coming up on the 8th of February Yeah, very much looking forward to that uh, unfortunately I couldn't make it up there for the first one and uh, and uh, promised the boys that I'd definitely get up there this year, uh, this time round so uh, really looking forward to it and uh, you know, anything that celebrates uh, you know, rural Australia and you know, rural and country racing, uh, you know, I'm all for and happy to help out whenever I can. And Pete, um, country racing's obviously going ahead in leaps and bounds here in Queensland um, on, uh, sorry, uh, the Battle of Bush uh, and Country Cups Challenge highlighting those. We're two years behind us, the increased prize money and something like on the bit with the exposure for stakeholders. Yeah, no, listen, some of these concepts have been tremendous. I think they can still be improved on and, and still grow and develop a bit more uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be an ambassador for the Battle of the Bush series uh, for the first couple of years. And, uh, you know, I think these are great initiatives uh, to give people the opportunity to race for good prize money and then go down to to the southeast corner and have a crack at the, the big money, uh, basically, amongst their own. So, uh, you know, uh, Racing Queensland, to be congratulated, you know, across the board in Australia the last decade, I think prize money has risen something like 80%, yeah. and uh, we're slowly starting to see that filter down to country racing, and not only in Queensland, but all over Australia. It's it's very, very important to look after the grassroots racing, because you need the food chain, uh, you know, for the participants and for the horses going both directions. Uh, we know the money is probably earned and, and uh, you know, part supplied by the you know the mega racing in the yeah. metropolitan districts but we need that grassroots racing to support it and it all started at uh, grassroots level for you pete um around the charleville area take us back to where it all began yeah no well i, I was like anyone i grew up on a sheep and cattle property out there and mum and dad raced horses in the good seasons and in the bad seasons those horses were used for stock work but uh, <laughs> you know my real introduction to racing came through tony facey and frank Kavner trainers there in Charleville and it was a bug that sort of bit me and, and, and something uh, that uh, really grabbed me and you know it was you know I decided very early on it was the career I wanted and, and you know my story in part adds to that fact that you need to support country racing because yep. you know as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old uh, you know I used to attend all the bush meetings out there and uh, the length and breadth of Western Queensland and uh, you know that's where I sort of learned my trade before I was fortunate enough you know many years down the track to you know be the premier trainer of Victoria and Australia for a few seasons so you know you can begin from anywhere and and if you didn't have that sort of grassroots support for racing uh, you know a lot of your, your participants would be lost I think you look at the jockeys and trainers premierships in the metropolitan area of every state of australia uh you know i'd bet my balls that six or seven of them have a rural upbringing yeah so we, we really need to look after that and how did you step out of the country um scene into the metropolitan you obviously did time with uh, some big trainers yeah i uh, had an introduction to tommy smith as a young person uh, through frank kavner's grandson brett kavner is a good mate of mine and was a big part of the black caviar story He's a charleville lad as well. And uh, John Drennan, uh, his stepfather, was John, Tommy Smith's horsebreaker. 
for a lot of years, and John's a very well-known horseman in sort of central and western Queensland also. He's a champion amateur jockey before he uh, took over breaking in TJ's horses at Brownwick, and uh, a lot of uh, western Queensland boys, myself included, used to go down there each season for the breaking in season, but my attraction was the racing side of it, so uh, I went down there as a 15-year-old, and uh, I was Apart from a six-month stint when I was about 18 back in Charleville, I sort of haven't been home, to be honest. Just just a couple of uh, on-the-bit previews with Jono and Les Baker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and hasn't that been a terrific thing, uh, the yeah. on-the-bit? You know, I know myself, I race uh, quite a few horses in partnership with uh, my good mate David Power at Charleville, yep. and, uh, you know, it's terrific where, uh, you know, we can get on and have a look at the races, and anything that sort of, you know, promotes it is tremendous, and... Uh, you know, these, these events are extremely important for the small communities, you know, not only you blokes up around Longreach and around Charleville, but even the once-a-year places. Uh, mm. You know, there's been plenty of shit times in the bush in the last two or three or probably five or six decades, and for people to be able to get to a race meeting and just forget their troubles for five or six hours yeah. on a Saturday afternoon or, you know, a B&S ball on the, after the races or a clay pan boogie, you know, to, to, to put all the trouble behind them for those few hours, you know, it's very important and they, they're good community events, so we've got to make sure they continue on strongly. And we see that from length and breadth of the state, from Nuremer up to McKinlay and everywhere in between. It's a social hub these days, uh, country meetings. Now, Pete, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about black caviar. Um, we've been blessed, haven't we, in the past two decades now with the likes of Maccabi Diva and later on Winx, but black caviar, she, she was it, 25 from 25. Yeah, listen, it, it's been a phenomenal period for racing in Australia and uh, um, you know, you think of the previous century and, you know, they talk about horses like Kingston Town and right back to Peter Pan and Farlap and, you know, Vane and the likes. You know, you, you could probably name sort of, you know, five or six, seven great horses of the previous century. But in the first 20 years of the, this century, we've seen three things that we never thought we'd see. We've, you know, the Kyby Diva three Melbourne Cups and the Melbourne Cups being on for 160 or 70 years mm, never yeah. happened before. The world champion Sprinter Black Caviar, 25 undefeated, and, and probably arguably the greatest of them all wins. Uh, you know, 33 consecutive victories and record prize money and group ones. You know, we've been unbelievably blessed. And, uh, you know, for me to be able to have played a small part in that with Black Caviar, uh, you know, I'm going to dine out on that for the rest of my life. <laughs> if that hadn't been for her, you bastards would have never heard of me. <laughs> now, Pete, obviously you've seen a lot of horses, you've worked with a lot of horses. How, how, how long did it take before you realised you had something special with Black Caviar? Oh, listen, she was always pretty special from day one, but mm. as I think every trainer will tell you, I don't care whether you're in Birdsville or Brisbane or Flemington or Rose Hill or Randwick, you know, we've all had horses that we thought had untold ability but horses are very much like humans it's how they develop mm. not only physically but mentally as well so you never game to tag them a, a superstar early on otherwise you usually end up with egg on your faces <laughs> but fortunately she had unbelievable ability and she learned how to harness it and, and sort of grew and developed and looked after herself uh, as she went along and she, she was a monster she always had terrific ability but um, probably more importantly for her was the fact that when I had her, I probably arguably had the best stable of horses in Australia. You know, Typhoon Tracy, the current horse of the year, and Menegar, five or six-time Group 1 winner. You know, I had a stable full of good quality horses. Mm. So I was able to be patient and take my time with Black Caviar, even though I thought 
she was equal to anything I'd ever worked with. I was fortunate enough that uh, every time I opened the fridge, there was a feed in there due to these <laughs> other good horses, and I didn't have to push the penny with her. And uh, you know, she had short, sharp preparations, and you know, just gradually built that record. Where if I didn't have those other good horses, I might have sort of uh, you know pushed on too far at times with her, and we might have never seen her because she was very unsound. Uh, and, and like all champion athletes, whether it's equine canine or, or human you know the great ones because they strain and strive to excel they're always susceptible to injury and uh, you know you, you never see an ordinary footballer or a cricket or a tennis player with an injury it's always the good ones that hurt themselves because they strive to excel and horses yeah. are no different so uh, you know we just had to manage so carefully throughout a career but uh, you know I never dreamt uh, of what she would go on to achieve it at any stage. Uh, I, I worked with a horse called General Ledeem, who was a champion Queensland colt yeah, back in the late yeah. 90s, and I thought he was the fastest horse I'd ever see until she came along. So <laughs> I've been very fortunate enough to work with uh, a lot of good horses, but arguably, uh, you know, she certainly... Well, not arguably, she's far and away the best I ever handled. Pete, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. I really look forward to uh, catching up with you on February the 8th at Emerald. We'll join yourself and Pam O'Neill, Rupert McCall, Andy Bickle, Jimmy Cassie. I'm sure there'll be a few uh, stories <laughs> flying around the room boy, after a couple of amber ales. Yeah, no, very much looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to getting up there to Emerald and uh, you know celebrating uh, our uh, stars of Queensland country racing. Thanks for having me, boys. It's thanks, a summer edition heard right across regional Queensland. Back with the summer edition, thanks to the Australian Mungbean Association and catch us right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network, Nick Backstrom. And we're probably into the back end of cricket season, it's fair to say. Well, yeah, I mean, the, all the tests have been played for uh, Australia. Uh, the Big Bash is coming to an end soon. But, Finally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, it was great to see some of the big names in action earlier in the week, Steve Smith and, and the likes. So they haven't probably stepped out for their state too many times in the Big Bash. No, that's right. So uh, it's always great, you know, wonderful to see those memories of those great cricketers and, yeah. uh, you know, actually in action. That's, um, you can't replace that. And they certainly put bums on seats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, joining us to talk all things cricket is Participation Officer of Central Queensland, Hannah Clark. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, you're currently underway uh, with two clinics today in Bar Calden uh, and the big one at Ilfracombe tomorrow. Yep, yep, we've got... Um Two programs in Barky and, uh, yeah, one in Ilfracombe on Sunday. Tell us a bit about the programs. Um, so Barky and Longridge both run a Woolworths Cricket Blast program for our sort of 5 to 10, 11-year-old kids. So um, they've already got existing programs and we're just coming coming through to uh, value-add to these programs on their cricket days. So hopefully we'll get a few kids. And it's good timing as well. Um, often... We've had Queensland cricket come out sort of in, in, in the off-season, but um, striking while the iron's hot right in the middle of Big Bash, uh, it's certainly good timing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and they've got another six, seven weeks of their program once school starts back up, so it's good to get them back interested, ready for Term 1's program. And what are you finding with uh, kids' participation in cricket in terms of numbers? Um, oh, well, for the first time in Buck Alden uh, is the first time they're running a junior junior program. Um, it's been a while since I've had one there in Barky, so that's fantastic to see yeah, that yeah. one get up off the ground. And Longridge, they're a few years into theirs, and their numbers are continuing to grow, which is awesome. Um, right. They've even got a couple of junior junior teams as well. So, Yeah, it, it's often driven around um, parent participation as well to get these things off the ground. I know here in Longridge we've got um, some good old hats uh, wheeling around the juniors. 
But we have seen exponential growth in country uh, rugby league. How is cricket looking? Um, and is it does it depend on on the likes of the Big Bash and and um, Test cricket to to drive these numbers up? I think the Big Bash has a has a fair bit to do with it. This time of year, you always get a little bit more interest after Christmas, after cricket's been played on TV or holidays. Uh, you always get a few more sign on, and we've got some key people there, like you said, around Long Region, around Barky, um, that are really driving cricket for the little kids, and that makes a massive difference if you've got those those key people. Tell, so, yeah, Hannah, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in in your role at Queensland Cricket. Um, oh, well, I've been a teacher out west uh, at Alpha for the last five years. Um, so I'm just having a bit of a break from that and, and getting into some cricket, um, some cricket work with Queensland Cricket, which has been really interesting. So we cover all of central Queensland, so I've, I do some miles, and um, but I get to meet heap of, heap of all our volunteers, which is awesome. So. And you're keeping, uh, keeping one eye on the Big Bash? <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, they, the, the women's stuff was really successful. Before Christmas, uh, they had a really successful campaign. So hopefully the fellas can can uh, get into the sneak into the finals and hopefully do well there too. So yeah, well, they've been they've been up and down the heat, but they <laughs> certainly there's yeah. no, no one with a better roster. Oh no, on paper they should be yeah they should be a bit higher up. You reckon? But uh, maybe tonight. You, do you yourself play much cricket? Uh, no, I used to play uh, when I was in uni. Um, we actually just starting to drive some women's cricket around central Queensland in Rocky the um, first ever women's comp will start in term one wow, that's which fantastic. is pretty exciting so um, it's a big step forward we've had some all girls holiday programs we had one in Emerald and one in Rocky uh, over the holidays which was really successful so hopefully going forward we'll see a lot more women's cricket in this region and and the product of women's cricket I remember growing up um, one time Australian captain Lynn Larson was from Lismore and uh, training with her and she was playing uh, in our fourth grade men's competition. Uh, turn the clock forward 20-odd years, um, I think they'd be pushing us in first grade. The, the product's <laughs> good, the, the training's good, and, and the money, obviously, is getting put into into women's sport now. Yeah, it's a lot more professional. Mm. Uh, I think the new idea, they're coming through of playing, playing glass, girls' glass programs, um, girls' junior cricket, and, and then obviously first grade women's cricket so that there's not a, uh, a lot of girls coming through the full girls pathway which is a fantastic see, uh, thing to see well, i'll let you get back to, to the kids there in bar calden and uh tomorrow from 3 p.m you'll be at ilfracombe at the rec center yep that'll be him hannah clark thanks very much for your time this afternoon and uh, all the best no worries thanks guys it's the summer edition heard across the resonate network Back with the summer edition, thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can catch us right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. It is Rugby League Heartland and somewhere around that 50 sleeps till the NRL season starts and we're out of a job until next summer. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we're filling in the time while the Rugby League, rugby league season gets started. But we've spoken to a few Rugby League players. We've been lucky enough to have Dan Russell, former player Ben Iken. But what's your real special guest this afternoon? A man who does one of the toughest jobs, I believe, going around, and that's Gavin Badger, NRL referee. Gavin, how are you, mate? I'm going good, boys. How are you doing? Yeah, going really well. Now, Gavin, NRL off-season. Now, we like to think the NRL doesn't really have an off-season, but an off-season for a referee like yourself, what sort of things have you been doing? Uh, I'm very similar. I don't really have an off-season. We have six weeks off. Yep. So from grand final, um, the week after the grand final, we're still in. We sort of tap off the end of the season and look at, you know, um, all our rehab stuff and, and make sure we're, we're ready to go when we do come back. So we have that week as our last week, the week after the grand final. Six weeks off, uh, then back into it uh, beginning of November and 
uh, rip in for getting ready for the next season. 100%. Now, Gavin, the life of getting into refereeing, how did that start, mate? Obviously, a sporting background, but where did the interest in refereeing begin? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, my whole life has been around rugby league. I started playing when I was 30 um, Grew up in, in, in the city of Sydney, in Redfern. Um, played junior footy with the Zetland Magpies and Alexandria Rovers. Um, played in some really good footy sides and some good school footy sides with some guys that went on to play um, play for Australia and and play a bit of um, rep football and stuff. A lot of guys that played first grade. Uh, a couple of guys, Terry Hill and uh, Daryl Trindle, um, Nathan Wood, uh, Jimmy Dimmick. Yeah, stars. Uh, you know, those sort of guys. We all sort of played schoolboy footy and that together and junior footy. Um, had dreams of playing first grade footy, but got found out really quickly that they those guys had all the talent, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, they all sort of got put into grade systems and that. We played a bit of rep footy together. They all went on further to play you know higher levels, and I got left back. And once they weren't there, I got bashed around a little bit. And, yeah, found that I probably wasn't going to reach that dream of um, playing at any elite level at all. So um, sort of. Still sort of knocking around, playing a little bit of park footy, but wasn't enjoying as much getting bashed up every weekend. And went into an old footy coach who um, tried to convince me to referee. And the first couple of times he asked, I sort of, I probably can't say on air what I said to him. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't a great fan of the referees when I played. Um, I was a cheeky little halfback and had a bit of a mouth on me. Um, Often make the best referees, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then he, he, you know, it took a little bit of convincing, but I... I did it, and the reason I started doing it was because, you know, you get paid and, and as a young, I was 17, 18 at the time, and, and a little bit of extra cash doesn't hurt, and started doing it and fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it, and yeah, stuck with it, and one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Well, I go back to about the early 80s, that's my first memories of, of rugby league and um, the tough battles between uh, Parramatta and the Bulldogs and uh, moving forward into the 90s, the 2000s. And the game's really revolutionised, but so is, so is refereeing. And, and you go back and watch some of the old footage, and um, without the third, you know, the upstairs, the man upstairs, and the bunker, and that. And they often they, they just got the decisions right. You know, often what you see first of all, it, it's right what you see. Um, how how hard has it been now, like trans, transitioning through the route through time with with the changes to technology, etc. Um, yeah, the, the, oh, I've been around for a long time. I'm, I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, and just seen a lot of changes in it. Um, the biggest change was when we went to full-time professionalism. So the, the game sort of went to full-time at the end of the Super League War where you know all the players were full-time and around that 99, 2000 sort of thing, it was a full-time product. But as referees, we didn't go full-time until 2005. Yep. So before that, it was sort of you know part-time you know between work and stuff like that. So 2005, we become full-time. So everything changed then around technology, around um, the sports science side of stuff, which we sort of never had. Um, you know, the recovery, rehab and recovery stuff that we sort of never had done, um, which then obviously allowed us to train harder, get fitter, um, to be able to make better decisions under fatigue. So the technology side of it has been the biggest thing that I've noticed. On the flip side of that is too, is like pay TV and the, the way the game sort of is now with so many TV shows around rugby league and there's so much content to fill that yeah. scrutiny is a lot higher now than it's ever yep. been. Social media does that as well. Because um, there's a lot of content for these shows to fill. So a lot of it comes down to, you know, the decisions that we make on field and, and stuff like that. You know, the, the technology game day, you know, the super slow-mo cameras and drone footages and, you know, the 
spider cans and stuff also puts a lot of pressure on our decision making as well. So that's something that we work really hard on to um, get into positions to make sure we make the best decisions. So the physical aspect of it is another thing that's gone to the next level. You know, you're never going to make it as an NRL referee these days if you are not you know, at an elite level when it comes to fitness. Oh, 100%. That rules Watsy and I straight out of way, um, <laughs> straight out of there. Now, Gavin, can you do you remember your first game? Obviously, you worked up through the ranks and you would have done, you know, um, you know, Q Cup, as we call it, in, in Queensland or New South Wales Cup. But then yeah, you yeah. do your... I've actually you refereed two Q Cup games. Oh, well. th- there you go. So, um, but mate, <laughs> I want you to take us back to your first... You get the call up. Um, you're going to be refereeing first grade. Your first grade debut. Yep. Do you remember, remember it well? Vividly. Yep, like it was yesterday. And um, so who played and, and how did you go? So it was round 17 of 2004. Yep. Um, it was South Sydney versus the Broncos at Suncorp Stadium, so not a bad place to make your debut. No, great probably place. Probably the best rugby league ground. Oh, probably uh, Bankwest Stadium sort of going to be something that maybe pushes a little bit. And, and being a Broncos fan, hopefully you gave the Broncos a fair share of the calls that <laughs> night. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, it, to be able to make your debut at Suncorp Stadium, you know, you know, an iconic rugby league ground with two iconic rugby league teams. Like you've got South Sydney, who you know, you know, the undisputed pride the history, of the league, yeah. as they say, and you know, a foundation club, and then the Brisbane Broncos, who you know, is you know, for a long time was a benchmark club in rugby league. So to be able to go out there and make my debut with those two clubs was something special. Um, the biggest thing about it, the biggest memory I have from that game, is. I, was, I remember standing in the tunnel about to go out and I'm not a nervous person. I generally don't get nervous, but I had a, a thought and my thought was, if I stuff this up and if I do something stupid, I'm <laughs> never going to hear the end of it from all the mates. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I had to go out there and be good, so I didn't cop it from all the mates. And that usually keeps you on the right line. Now, when we talk yeah. to players, one thing I get fascinated with is, is their pre-game routine. And I imagine that referees are similar. Is there something you like to, to do on game day in the lead-up to, you know, refereeing a first-grade match? Um, I try not to be, um, not to have anything because my life is crazy. It can be crazy. So if I try and have a structured setup and something goes out of whack, then all of a sudden yep. your game day, you know, it, it can play with you. So I don't have a structure um, because what we do as well you know, one week I could be on a Friday night or a Thursday night, and then I could be on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. So it's very hard to structure your life around it when we don't find out until Tuesday what we're going to do. Oh, right, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it makes it a bit hard to structure it anyway. Um, but I like to just do whatever. If, you know, if I've got kids' footy in the morning, I'll go to kids' footy. If, you know, I want to go for a swim, I'll go down the beach in the morning before a game, I'll do it. Um, you know, if I want to go shopping, I want go shopping or watch a movie, we'll do it. Um, yeah, I just don't structure it until, until I sort of get to the ground. Once I get to the ground, um, I generally get to the ground an hour and a half, two hours before kickoff. Then I sort of sit around and watch a bit of the lower grades and have a bit of a chat with people. Um, once I get into the dressing room, then I start to think footy. So it's generally 45 minutes before the game. Yeah. But I don't even think about it. Then I'll start looking at you know what players I've got in that game, um, You know, memorising their names because we, we call them by names. Yeah. Um, yeah, have a chat with the rest of the team about, you know, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Yeah, mm. Because we're with different referees each week, we have a little bit of a chat about, okay, I'd like to hear this, I'd like you to say this at this situation. Yep. Um, then get out there, warm up, and, and blow the whistle and rip it. One thing we do ask a lot of football players as well, and, and, and I think this this onsets with, with the amount of gambling that's allowed in football, um, 
the you know if 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 a decision happens to go wrong, that's when we hear about referees and and the bad publicity that that goes with it. How do you deal with that? Do you just you know obviously you you stand by your convictions, but um, social media is being so big, and often referees get plastered left, right, and centre. How how do you deal with that? Do you just um, keep off all that type of stuff. Oh, actually, some guys do. Some guys don't have social media accounts and stuff like that. I'm, I'm fairly active on social media. Yep. Um, I, 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 I like it. Um, but yeah, if you are active on it, you've got to be able to take. You know, you've got to understand that that's going to happen if you see stuff around. You know, it's more a lot more negative sometimes than positive yep. on social media, especially for referees. Um, I, I deal with it. There's only a couple of people that I need to worry about their opinions, and that's my coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. So people, you know. People writing stuff on social media, whether they be right or wrong, I'm not going to be overly worried about that too much. And, and as, um, I, as I alluded to, a lot of people... Are... Morning, yeah, I'm more concerned Monday morning walking in and having my boss tell me what I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as I alluded to, a lot of them are just um, armchair experts that are talking oh, through their pocket as well. Oh, yeah, oh, of course. But, you know, they're, 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 the, they're the people that, you know, love the game and are passionate. And, yeah. You know, you know, they've got sort of every right to sort of support or, you know, look after their, their back pocket that... You know, we need passionate people in the game as well, so I'm more than happy for people to, to have their opinions. Yeah, Gavin, it's obviously you're very passionate about the game. Um, it's just, you know, we've just been talking to you for a couple of minutes, and that's very, very evident. Mate, you talked about you've done over 300 games, and you said you're getting towards the end of your career rather than at the start of it, which is which is a shame because the badge is one of the great characters in rugby league, let me tell you. <laughs> but, Gav, goals. Like, you've got – you said you've got a – you know, I don't know how many years you, you think you've got left, but what's a goal for yourself or what's a goal you've set out that you'd really love to achieve before your career's over? Uh, yeah, it, it, one thing I, – I, I do a bit of coaching with young referees and stuff as well. And one thing I talk to them about around setting goals and stuff is never set games as your goal. Like I don't say I want to referee the grand final, I want to referee origin, but we all do. That's you know, obviously the pinnacle of the game, and that's what you want to do. But in what I do, my, my job is subjective, so it doesn't matter how well I do it or how good I am at it, someone else's opinion is what matters. So yeah. if someone else makes that decision, there's no finish line. Like if I was an athlete and I'm a 100-metre runner and I, and I run and I'm first past that post, no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, I'm the winner. Yeah. But in refereeing, I go out and do my job, and then you might have four people watch the same game, and you get four different opinions on how the referee officiated it. It's true. So it's very hard to set goals around getting games. So for me, I set goals around um, training and, and I make sure that you know, I'm always continually trying to improve, looking to find new ways to train. You know, the older you get when you're around for a long time. And my goal is set around you know, my training and the way I can handle myself and bettering myself all the time, whether it be around my footy stuff or even you know, my social awareness and stuff like that. Gavin Badger, thanks very much for your time this afternoon and contribution to the summer edition. And just a little insight, uh, Scott, in what it's like to be an NRL top-tier referee. Yeah, absolutely fascinating, Gavin. Thank you so much for your time. We'd love to check in with you when the NRL season kicks off. No problem at all, guys. Thank you so much for your time. It's the summer edition heard across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. Back with the summer edition, and it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. You can catch us right across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4SB, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, Hot Country Time to Talk Basketball. Yeah, talking basketball. Now, I like to think that I'm the best basketball player that's ever been on the summer edition, but I'm sadly mistaken because the bloke on the phone is, it's Andre Moore. Andre, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, going well. Now, before we get into it, Andre, today was the debut of a future star in Zion Williamson. I think he scored 17 points in three minutes. Have you seen anything like it? 
No, man. Nothing, well, it wasn't just how, how he scored. scoring 17, but it was the way he did it. You know, four, I think he had like four, at one stage, four three points in a row. Yeah. Wow. In, um, spectacular fashion. He, he's showing athleticism. He's showing uh, pass. He, he, he pulled out the whole, you know, all, he pulled out all stops today. You know, he looked really good out there on the court. Um, just a bit of a crystal ball. Do you think he will establish himself as a star? Without a doubt. The only thing, you know, only thing will uh, prevent him from um, doing, you know, doing big things in the league would be uh, obviously his health. That's, that, that goes for everybody, you know? Yeah, 100 um, As far as talent and all that, man, he's the real deal. Well, Andre, we're into the uh, home stretch here for the 2019-2020 NBL season. It's been a, it's been a great NBL season with uh, Sydney out in front. The two Queensland sides, though, the Taipan sitting in third and the Bullets on the cusp down in fifth, mate. How do you see uh, both oh, their run homes? Well, I know. Go, I play for both teams. Go, go Bullets and go, go Taipan. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 you know, so win-win for me, you know, whichever team does well. You know, I, I wish both. Both franchises, you know, uh, the best of luck down the stretch, because they, you know, obviously both both of those um, cities, and I'm, I'm still in Brisbane now, have um, you know thoroughly embraced me over the years. So I, um, I'm really, you know, chuffed and uh, ecstatic about the success that both both clubs are experiencing down the stretch. Down, yeah. Do you think? Um, do you think Brisbane? I mean, they're a bit hot and cold. I mean, there was a big story at the start of the year that they, they were potentially a chance for the for the premiership this year. Um, they've kind of faltered a little bit. Do you see them making a bit of a splash in the finals? Yeah, who knows? You know, they, uh, the one, I, think, I think the one thing about them is they're quite perimeter-oriented. You know, and, um, when the playoffs comes, usually you know, the game gets, gets slowed down to a bit of a grind and becomes more of a chess game and more physical. So, um, you know, and then there's the old, the old adage of uh, live by the jumper, die by the jumper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hopefully... Hopefully they won't die by it, but um, they, you know anybody has a chance. You know that's the thing about this. That's what makes the uh, the, the league so exciting that um, you know anybody can can come out of nowhere and just sort of um, take over. And, know, I, so. and I wanted to ask you that, Andre. Obviously, when you played, mate, like if you ever want to spend a great five minutes or ten minutes or even an hour, just Google Andre Moore highlights. And the, and the game really back then was really based around athleticism, whereas now it's it's more you know your three point shooting, your distance shooting. Is that the biggest change you've seen from when you played to now? Oh yeah, most definitely, man. And the the reason behind that, we can paint. I mean, we can point the finger at a little light skinned, um, bright eyed little guy playing in Golden State um, named Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that little yeah. guy has, has single handedly changed the whole landscape of basketball with his you know his uh, three point shooting prowess, and it's and that and that, and that his his um, his impact is spread you know. Across the world, you know, um, at, at every level, you know, kids is, kids are coming out shooting jump shots, um, you know, behind behind the arc, and everyone, you know, everyone's working on their on their uh, three point shooting. Even big guys, you know, you have yeah, Dirk, yeah. Dirk Nowitzki's, and and um, the other day, uh, well, a few months ago, you had um, uh, big the, Dirk. the unicorn for scenic for Zingas, and um, yeah, you had his coach defending him, you know, for not, you know, because of uh, Barkley and. Barkley and um, um, Shaq and those guys were uh, having to go at, um, you know, the, the fact that Porzingis doesn't play inside. And uh, his, his coach, um, very, very... Um, um, Rick Carlisle. In a very demonstrative way, uh, yeah. went off on those guys or any of the naysayers that you know, that defended his guy for, you know, he said, this is the way the game is going. You know, we, we want him shooting jump shots from way out there. But I'm still a traditionalist. I, I like to see guys down in the paint, you know, mixing it up and, see some pulse play and some some um, some good you know footwork 
and the paint and all that. I, I prefer to see that. You know, you guys like myself and Akeem Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Both <laughs> great players. <laughs> i got to put myself with Akeem, you know, the dream, you know. But even Rodman, he used to get down and dirty and then uh, rebound King, wasn't he? Uh, King, uh, King, yeah, he was. He did it all. Yeah, he's probably, you know, he doesn't get mentioned in the um, when you talk about the top top 10, top 15 players enough, you know. He's, you know, Keem Olajuwon, I reckon, you know, top eight, you know, player of all time, just just based off his, he played both ends of the court. You know, he was the original, um, what do they call it, uh, two-way guy. You know, he was a two-way big man that um, played both defense and offense um, equally, um, you know, magnificent, yeah. Now, what's he? Uh, just a bit of insight to him, mate. He would bet on table tennis if he could. And now we're not. We're not. Well, you can know, bet on table tennis. We're not trying to promote gambling in any sense of the word. But Andre, the NBA, um, it's really coming down to a, really a four horse race. I'd say the two LA teams, Milwaukee. Yep. I would say potentially Houston might even throw their name up. Who yep. is your tip to win it all? Who should Watson be putting his last ten dollars on? Wow, I'm, I'm. I gotta go with my guy LeBron and eighty and. Um you know, in um, in L.A., there they um, they seem to be really getting it. And it, you know, it's all going to depend on the trade deadline, which is looming. You know, um, who who picks up some you know extra spare yes. part players that they, they can get get them over the hump. So uh, I, I believe uh, if L.A. Lakers are able, able to get um, a great perimeter sh- score, you know, a more reliable perimeter score to. Um, Take a little pressure off of AD and LeBron, and they—they they, they definitely have to be um, your, your pick for for the uh, championship. That's my—that's my my pick there. But you know, in saying that, you know, it's, um, the boys across the hallway from them, the Clippers—they'll they, have something to say about it, as, along with uh, the Greek freak over in Milwaukee. And, and don't 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 um don't dismiss uh, Philly as well too. Yeah, they're, they're probably the ones. Um, um, Dave's uh, been up ourselves since his, his dad, Dave Simmons. Ben Simmons has been um, since MB's went down. They, they have a whole new look for their team, and they, they they look to be you know pretty pretty much in the contention as well too. Now, Andre, we are we're making our way out of summer and heading towards autumn. But in summer, mate, there's nothing better than firing up the barbecue. Now, we like to ask our guests the three top things they like to throw in a barbecue. Andre, thanks for your time this afternoon. What is thanks, Andre Jimmy. Moore's top three barbecue selections? Okay, things that, things I like to throw on a barbecue grill. Yep. Well, definitely no pork. Like, I don't want to tell you the things I don't want to put. Oh, <laughs> nice, some nice, um, nice sausages. Um, Steaks can't go wrong with steaks. Yep, and then uh, some nice wings, barbecue wings. Oh, great answers! And I'm just, I'm just jotting, I'm just jotting down. Andre Moore comes to Longreach, cancel the pork belly. <laughs> no, pork. No, no pork on my fork. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dish. <laughs> I like the seafood too. <laughs> Andre, thanks very much for your time this afternoon and contribution to the summer edition. No worries. Always, it's always a pleasure, man. And um, and everybody always take 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 a minute out and think about the farmers and the people who lost their um, properties in, the, in these these great fires. Uh, well, not great fires; these fires we've had over the years. So my my condolences for all the people that have lost, um, you know, their um, you know their, their loved ones and their, their their possessions and their livestock and the animals and all that. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to see the world uh, worldwide. We got a lot of people. Um, you know, digging deep and helping these people out. So yeah, it's, it's, great, a, it's great. It's great. It's great to see. We're certainly a resilient nation. Thanks, Andre. Yes, we are. Thank you very much. Yeah. Back with the second hour of the summer edition here on the Resonate Network. 
covering right across regional Queensland, thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. Time for Paco's Probe. Now, Paco's <laughs> Probe, it kind of led me, uh, the, the question kind of came to me from the, our chat with Gavin Badger, and, and what's your form in that interview was outstanding. It was, and honestly, I do blow a little bit of smoke, but Plenty. You know, it was a great question around gambling and the impact it's had on referees because the only there's any more pressure on referees, on sportsmen, than there is now with the current gambling and betting odds that you can get. You can bet on, you know, which socks um, will be pulled up and which socks will be pulled down. The markets are just absolutely ridiculous. In a game of AFL, there's upwards of 160 markets. Yes. And, and new ones dreamt up every year. Well, exactly right. You can bet on which players will cry during an anthem. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, <laughs> I guess Parko's pro, I'll put the glove on. Um, I want to ask both of you, does gambling, has it gone too far or does it play a role in sport? Um, well, I'll jump in first because I love a punt. Um, boys, no, you've been on ants walking down the street. Yeah, but look, some of these markets are absolutely ridiculous. Completely agree. Um, you know, I, I don't mind the first try scorer in each half. I don't mind the last try scorer in each half and all those type of things. But it's it's almost getting into that state where spot fixing becomes an issue in yes. sport. Uh, we saw it throughout the subcontinent, and it still probably goes on with the with you know the illegal bookmakers, um, you know, betting on a no ball on the fourth ball of the sixth mm. over and all that sort of stuff. Now your fringe players are susceptible to this type of money earning. Yeah, um, it's hard. Every there's a flag on everything now. I mean, we we had a inside information on uh, Tina Turner singing "Simply the Best" after <laughs> Black Caviar we after did. Winks won her fourth Cox Plate. Now, what a ridiculous market! Yes, but we had the information. We we utilised it and we got the cash. Um, is there too much betting? Yes, there is. Does it change the dynamic of a game? It certainly does. Um, I remember getting cranky at a football game. Um, it was an origin game where the margin was a difference between 1 to 12 and 13 plus, and the kick was given to one of those retiring players. Mm. <laughs> and they, oh. he, he put it sideways, missed the kick. It was an easy kick. Yep. But that was the difference yeah. between someone collecting 13 plus or 1 to 12. Yeah. You know, little things like that. Um, I understand it's gamesmanship, etc. But yes, there is too much gambling in sport. Players are going to gamble. You know, jockeys are betting. They, they bet everywhere. Yeah. Um, but the lure's too much, Nick. Oh, yeah, for sure. That is the problem, the uh, filthy lucre as ever. Uh, I was interesting to talk about fringe players because remember a few years ago, the Pakistani team were done for match fixing. Yeah. And um, Australia, as we used to do before, before uh, pre-sandpaper, got on our high horse about that. But um, Grant, uh, Jeff Lawson, who was the coach at the time, said, you've got to remember, these guys are on no money compared to this train team. There's no comparison. And the people they're dealing with are dangerous. They will, they will kill their family and friends. And that sort of pressure from gambling is just unbelievable. And we don't appreciate that for the poorer countries. Um, and, yes, I, think it, it, and, you know, I hate watching the uh, coverage of any sport, and there's always a segment on the odds. Mm. And I think, you know, it, and then there's always a mealy mouth thing at the end, don't, don't, um, gamble, responsibly. You know, don't gamble, too. Yeah, gamble responsibly. Mm. And you just know the same, but if you want to gamble irresponsibly, we won't mind. You know, like you if, know, if, yeah, if, I, if, if I was a Q Cup player, you can bet on Q Cup. I'd probably yeah, be having yeah, yeah. a punt. You know, yeah. look, you, yeah, yeah. you know, extra way to make a bit of money. You, you know, your ins and outs of your teams before anybody else. You know that 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 carrot is is quite 
it's tempting. I, I think there definitely needs to be a bit of an inquiry into it. I, I've, I mean, there's nothing more satisfying than when you put a bet on an underdog. Well, sports better if you've got a pun on it. Yeah, and watching and, it. and I and yeah. at first try score. I think those things they're very exciting. And like you said, sport is better if you've got a punt on it, particularly if you win. Um, I just think you don't <laughs> need to offer so many ridiculous markets. Um, you know, which player will forget to take his jersey and who's got a haircut yeah. that week? Like you don't need to bet on that. I reckon a yeah. result. Um, a first try, goal scorer, whatever, a line. You don't yep. really need any more. I think we're just getting ridiculous, and I really think we need to take a step back because how do you gamble responsibly when you're dead set bet on everything? Rupert McCall joins us first up this hour. Nick, uh, for a good chat, he will be at the On The Bit Awards also coming up on the 8th of February. Yeah, for sure. Now, he's been a um, one of a, a very rare breed. That is a professional poet, and you don't see many of them anywhere, let alone the world of sport, but he certainly... Uh, his work is very reminiscent of the great Bush Balladeers and uh, very popular stuff, and particularly when he performs it, as the uh, audience at On The Bit will tell you. Ben Dobbin uh, from rural Queensland today uh, cracks the top on his 2020 <laughs> summer edition contributions. Uh, Parco? Jeez, it was good to hear the voice of Ben Dobbin on the show again. We had him on a couple of times last year, and, uh, you know, it was just good to have him back. And, and it's just interesting, with, with blokes like Dobbin, I mean, I'm always fascinated how they get the scoop. And just yeah. they've got their finger on the pulse, and they can tell you what's going to happen before it does. Um, I live for that. So another fascinating chat with, with Dobbo. <laughs> and uh, one from the stands we've been waiting for, boys, for, for months. We finally secured it. We got the sponsors, Australian Mungbean Association, on board. They got Bobby Cooper in the studio, and he doesn't let you down. No, Bobby Cooper is tremendous effort. And uh, what I love about stories like his, the, um, all these great stories that these people have that you don't know about until you get them in a chat. And uh, it's wonderful stuff. And the beat button didn't have to be used once for Bobby. He was he was Chris. Well, I think um, a job in, in radio is probably in Bobby's future. I think he'll probably fill in for me next time I'm away. It's the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. Back with the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. You can catch us on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country. On the Bit Awards coming up, oh, they're coming up rapidly on the 8th (laughs) of February. Scott Parkinson uh, won, well, let's be honest, the guy that stole the show at last year's awards. And it's not yourself for once, Watson. I know you, know you rocked up with your impressive rig and your new suit, and the bloke that we're talking to was the absolute star of the show. Rupert McCall, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, lads. How are we? Good, thanks, mate. Now, um, how'd you get involved with On The Bit? Uh, good question. I think I've got a you know, pretty decent pedigree in racing. Um, not that I've owned too many fast horses, but I've certainly paid tribute to a few over the years. And... Yep. Uh, it, it must have been Matty Peters, I suppose, who uh, caught wind of the fact that uh, I could be up uh, for the challenge in paying tribute to uh, you know our, our country legends of racing, and uh, that's that's how it started. Well, that's where it happened last year, and uh, yeah. Hope it's backed by popular demand. Oh, it certainly is. Um, we we sat there and we did talk about this last week on the show. At our table was quite rowdy. It was the only um, time they were quiet when you were on stage, Rupert. You had them <laughs> had the media out the palm of your hand and the delivery. Oh, it was second to none. Now on the bit, it's it's um, it's been a revelation in in country racing. The fact that stakeholders all over or anywhere can uh, tune into their races, whether it be at Thangould or uh, mm. up north at Atherton or McKinlay or down even at Nirima. 
on their phone through Facebook and um, it's encouraging people to stick into their horses where they might not make it on the provincial scene and, and have to head west. Absolutely. It, it's, it's an institution or it has become that. And I guess, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up in the country. Uh, I, I'm a Redcliffe Peninsula boy. Probably wasn't so, so much city back in the day, but I did marry a girl from Augustella. And, uh, you know, one of, we, we got married on Easter weekend uh, back in 20, 21 years ago now. Um, you know, the radio was on the Saturday. The, the picnic races were on the Monday and we got married on Easter Sunday. So, uh, you know, I'm really um, quite familiar with and, uh, and sympathetic, you know, for, for those in, in country areas that just love their racing uh, back in the day. But probably, you know, in, in those years, we're a little bit forgotten. And uh, so, um, you know, anything that can, that can kind of bring people like that together and, and give them access to the same... Uh, you know, passionate pursuit of, uh, of punting and racing uh, as, as we do get in the city, I think, is absolutely admirable and uh, should be applauded. Rupert, it's Parco here. and I mean, 2019 was full of highlights for myself, but there was no bigger one than just hearing the performance that you did at the On The Bit Awards. Now, you said that Matty Peters asked you to write a bit of a tribute to the On The Bit Mate, how long does it take, the process, like from getting the ideas to writing it down and, and obviously practising it to perform it the way you do? How long does that all take? Yeah, it, it does um, differ from poem to poem, Paco, but uh, I think the best way I can explain it is, is uh, you know, if you, if you, if you are um, one that likes to partake in a jigsaw puzzle uh, and you've got, say, a thousand-piece jigsaw and you throw it all down on the table, how long does it take to complete? <laughs> Me personally, a long time. If you're a week at the beach and you're on holidays, well, you've just got to get it done, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it might take some some late nights. It might take a few beers. I'm not sure, but but you start, you know, you start with the edges. You know, and you see pieces that that obviously go together. Then um, then you, like, I'm just thinking about all of the different moving parts and components, uh, and they just, you know, after a while, they just start falling into place. And, and is it uh, tr- that's really exciting. It's it's uh, it's very rewarding. And then find, you know, you put the finishing touches on, and uh, there you go. And is it true that Watsy in the pink shirt was the first line written? <laughs> <laughs> He's a lock-in, mate. <laughs> well, I was thinking you might. Well. I thought you might have put a bit of influence for uh, to get Watsy in for his award because Watts is a pretty wo- pretty easy word to rhyme, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, well, I might have to revisit that one. <laughs> uh, I, I can't reveal all my secrets. We're going to get a snapshot of. Um, uh, a little bit of the poem for this year's On The Bit. But let's move forward to your yeah. book you've just released, an anthology called The Golden Soil. Yeah, it's, it's been a labour of love. Uh, you know, people ask me how long it, it took to write that. Well, you know, let, let's say it's probably 25 years in the making because uh, it's my, my greatest hits album, you know, the best of anthology, 32 of what I consider to be, you know, amongst the best poems that I've written since I was, you know, skinny young article clerk, you know, waiting to file a document in the magistrate's court <laughs> and uh, inspired by the epic heroics of a horse by the name of Superimposed in the 1991 Epsom Handicap, you know, I scratched out a little verse called More Than a Horse. And, uh, and you know, what was I going to do with it? I had no idea, but I thought it, it felt pretty good to me. Like I thought, oh, this, this might go all right. So 
I faxed it. There you go. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> I faxed it to <laughs> back in the dark ages to <laughs> Wayne Wilson at, at 4TAB. Right. And, uh, and and Wayne believed in it as well. He gave me a chance on the radio and became one of my genuine fans. God rest his soul in peace. And uh, you know the rest is history. So it was re- very. Um, I think I've used the word already, but rewarding is uh, is the best way to describe it when you finally piece all of those um, poems together and, and put them in a, in a book like Golden Soil. And Rupert, you've written that many. Is there one to you that's your favourite? Is like your kids, you can't just choose one. <laughs> <laughs> it is a it's a hard task. It really is. But uh, I think the poem that that kind of made it all possible for me, like you know, in nineteen ninety four, I kind of figured out that there wasn't a hell of a lot of love in the family law division of the Petrie Magistrates Court, right? So um, I was uh, I was a young solicitor at the time and I just wasn't enjoying it. And so I decided, well, what's going to be my best contribution to this to this world and this life? And for me, it was telling these stories and, and writing my poems. So uh, I, I decided to retire as a solicitor and embark upon a career as a full-time poet, which you know, my mother and father were absolutely wrapped with. <laughs> and, uh, and six months, you know, six six months later, I wrote a poem by the name of Green and Gold Malaria uh, for Australia Day, and that was it. You know, that was the breakthrough. It it, um, it took what I was doing from a probably a state wide appreciation to something that was uh, appreciated on a national basis. Um, John Laws read it. I think Alan Jones had me recite it on his show, Midday Show with Kerry Kennelly. So Green and Gold Malaria, which is the first poem in Golden Soil, um, was just that, that one that, uh, that made it all possible for me. And it's a tribute to Australian pride, which at the moment, I think, uh, coming into Australia Day and what we've kind of experienced uh, you know, over the Christmas New Year period with the, the fires and floods is, uh, is quite significant. Mate, looking back over your work over some decades now um are there and those poems you've picked out obviously that's a tough choice do you look at any of those poems that just says lines or things you're tempted to tweak with or you're just getting you know you're happy with how they are oh you've got to be happy with it mm. i mean yeah hindsight's the perfect vision right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. every punter knows that <laughs> <laughs> never lost a race on a monday <laughs> yeah that's it yeah monday's expert but uh I, you just have to appreciate how old you were and how much experience you had mm-hmm. at that particular point in time when you wrote it and so i mean every now and again you'll tweak a line like i do that in green and gold malaria right, because yeah. there's a section there where you're paying tribute or you're mentioning things like you know better loosen up winning winning the um uh, the japan cup and and uh far jones winning you know, the world <laughs> cup in 91 and well, you recite wallabies, that yeah. in classroom today and uh, kids are scratching their wallabies heads. winning uh, world cups what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apart from the fact that uh, that probably hasn't happened uh you know in 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 their lifetime um uh, maybe t- twice their lifetime but yeah. uh yeah so you, you you do try and make it relevant to the audience mm-hmm. that you that you're preaching to um but um yeah some of those early poems i mean i just i love the you know, the, the raw nature of them and uh, putting them in the book and, and then, you know, seeing or feeling the evolution, you know, through the years, through the Anzac Odes, um, you know, and whatnot, the special tributes to, to Roger Federer, um, you know, Black Caviar, Winks, etc. 
yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Now, Rupert, in my paid job, I'm actually a primary school teacher, and, and obviously poetry is a big part of that. And I mean, the words that you write down are outstanding. But one of the great things to, is actually to see you see to see you recite the poems. I just wanted to know what are some little tips you have for you know getting that presentation underway and, and just learning those poems so well. Just for our, I know we've got a lot of younger viewers on the summer edition, so a few tips for, a for them. Asking for a friend, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that brings an extra dimension at least, uh, you know, to the whole experience is, is the performance of the poem. So rather than reading it, reciting it, you know, bringing those words to life. And you really have to believe in it. I mean, what you've, the story that you've written um, is worth telling. You know, I mean, if you've taken the, if you've invested the passion uh, and the pride in, in the writing something like that, well, you know, surely it you owe it to yourself, you know, to stand up tall and... and uh, and deliver it um, proudly so that everybody in the room can hear it. Um, so it comes from the heart, most of the stuff that I write, yep. and there's a little bit of a smile with it as well. So I try and put the smile on the face of the audience and, and deliver you know, that inspiration and a message into the heart and soul uh, of any given audience. Now, Rupert, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. Now, anybody mm. interested in uh, getting their copy of Golden Soul, I just head to your uh, webpage. Yeah, my website, it's, it's, it's my bookstore and it's open... Uh, 24-7. So uh, <laughs> uh, au is, is the uh, the outlet to purchase Golden Soil and, and all copies will be signed uh, and sent uh, in good time. So, yeah, coming in, well, you know, Australia Day tomorrow, uh, probably uh, quite timely. Mate, take us out with a snapshot of this year's On The Bit poem. Okay, well, I finished it yesterday, so this oh. is uh, an exclusive and hopefully uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the last two verses of what I hope is going to be a special tribute on the night. Of course, Black, Black Caviar's trainer, Peter Moody, will be there, so I'll be paying tribute to his um, beautiful animal, um, amongst others, Pam O'Neill, what a champion, um, flying the flag for uh, for our females in racing. But uh, anyway, as, as uh, all of these uh, legends of country racing have been uh, tributed, um, this is how it will end. And uh, again, thank, thanks very much for having me, lads. I, I appreciate it. In the tight-knit town of Emerald, striking all the sweetest chords in the silver lining shining through these on-the-bit awards, where the guns of country racing grace the saddle once again, the industry says thank you to its women and its men. Thank you for your loyalty, your character, your pride, to pay life's debt with honest sweat. Well, that's what marks your ride. When the final race is over and correct weight signals through, win, lose or draw, know this for sure, my glass is raised to you. Outstanding. <laughs> it's the summer you edition. Guys as well. It's, it's <laughs> in the summer edition across the Resonate Network. Back with the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. Time to check in with the voice of rural Queensland for the first time in 2020, Ben Dobbin. Good afternoon. Yeah, how are we going, guys? Happy New Year, and uh, it is alive and well, and not far away till we get back into the real sport, and that's the winter sports. They're not far away at all. It's pretty exciting times, and we'll start right up north uh, with the Cowboys, Dobbo. They've got a new stadium. They've got the marquee signing. Uh, how are things uh, looking up there? Uh, well, I mean, it's been quiet in North Queensland. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. that They've had a very good off-season. I spoke to a forward in that first-grade side last night, who is very committed to proving a point, and that's Josh McGuire. 
Um, he wants to make a difference. Um, there's a lot of pressure on North Queensland. They've Obviously, they've got the marquee signing of Val Holmes, um, but they lose some real leadership when the loss of Matt Scott and also they've had a bit of a changing of the guard. Now, Drinkwater and Clifford, they haven't made a decision on exactly how that half, who's going to be that 5-8. Morgan will definitely be the centre. But look, they've got the forward pack to match anything. I just worry that they might be a bit light on outside back should they get some injuries. But you know what? The 13th can't come quick enough of March. What a spectacle that will be at the new stadium in Townsville. Uh, a sellout that will be a special night for everybody involved. Dobbo, it's Parco here, and mate, you're the busiest man in rugby league, so I hope you had a great holiday. One big yeah, decision that um, you know come out recently was the Broncos have made a decision about their captaincy with Alex Glenn and Darius Boyd being named. Your thoughts yep. there? Yeah, I don't like co-captains as a rule, but um, there's some obviously some uh, thought process behind it that is different to to what we know. Anthony Seabold's had the Broncos in camp all week on the sunny coast, um, and they have been flogged in this off-season. They're fit. Um, they're ready to go. They're looking forward to their first game. The only thought process I have is that Darius Boyd, maybe, even though they, I believe he'll start on the wing for the Brisbane side this mm-hmm. year, Alex Glenn will be um, a, a constant, and if he goes off the field uh, in a rotation uh, with the interchange. They'll have a captain and a leader on the field. Make no mistakes, they wanted Matt Lodge as their captain, but the they floated the idea early in the off-season and the outcry and backlash that was there, yeah. which I think was unwarranted, um, the board was not... They didn't cop that recommendation. So it is now clear that, you know, Glenn... And Boyd will be the co-captains in 2020. Um, Dobbo, how's uh, Brodie Croft settling in? Yeah, well, uh, Craig Bellamy did not want to lose Brodie Croft. Reckons he's one of the hardest-working kids he's ever had there. I mean, it, 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 my, my, my honest take is that although, you know, we love the fact that he's from Dolby, but if you can't work in that Melbourne system, how are you going to work in the Brisbane system? I, I'm not trying to take anything away from this kid. Maybe I've got it wrong. The halves make no mistakes. That'll be Croft and Milford. That's what they're going to start as their seven and their six. Um, he's done a lot of work. He's fitted in. He's part of the leadership group. Um, so looking forward to actually seeing how that plays out. I mean, he's a good footballer, but whether or not he makes a difference, I just hope the pressure of what he has to be as mm. that number seven doesn't outweigh it because he's coming here as a saviour, and I don't believe he is the saviour. Dobbo, there's a third team in Queensland, that's the Gold Coast Titans, and um, yeah. believe it or not, there's a few Titans fans that listen to this station. So the big off-season news is Joy Arrow, will he go, uh-huh. will he stay? Um, they've got a new coach there. I know Mal Meninga's on the board. Mate, is there anything you can say that can give Titans fans any glimpse of hope that t- this season will be better than last? Well, I hope it is for them, but I cannot believe that they would have let, no matter what, Joy Arrow go. Now, yeah. Wayne Bennett, I spoke to him on Monday this last week, and he believes that there's still a big chance of getting him this year. Now, I have Ooh. to do a swap. Now, Dan Gagai, they've got some, um, obviously, some cost-cutting there. They'd like to let, get rid of Dan Gagai. They're trying to offer up Dan Gagai to the Titans, and then, obviously, uh, Joy Arrow would move on. But I cannot believe the Titans didn't throw the house at this bloke. He, you know, if, if any side has Joy Arrow... He's their future captain. You pay him what he deserves. You pay him overs to 100%. keep him in. You build a side around him. I cannot believe the Titans dropped the ball on this issue. Now, I understand they put an offer there, but Jai Arrow is an origin player and a future Australian player. You just don't lose him. 
you don't lose a local product. You don't do it, and they have. Uh, I think it's a real, real kick in the teeth for the Titans and what they stand for. And you know what? You could build a side. You get rid of Shannon Boyd. You get rid of Kevin Proctor to try and keep them. You know, you pay overs because you can build leadership from him. A couple of hot questions before we let you go. Uh, Dobbo, top t- Queensland team for 2020? Brisbane. A pre- premiership uh, choice? Oh, gee whiz. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> you put him on the spot. Yeah, Roosters, Canberra, Brisbane, Penrith. You know, one of those. So, uh, look, don't knock Brisbane. They're, they're, if you look at their side, and this is just dead set, just going like if you're starting side. You've got Lodge, Turp and Hass. You've got Fafita, Glenn, and Tavita Pangai Jr. as a forward pack. Croft and Milford in the halves. Bird and, and Katoni Stagg in the centres. Uh, Boyd one wing, Oates the other wing, and Azarko fullback, which believes you bench either McCulloch or that Corey Pakes. Flegler, uh, Joe Offen and Galway and Carrigan. I mean, it is side. a crack-hot side. It is a crack-hot side in any man's language. But whether or not they can turn that into results is another thing. They should be roundabouts. Make no mistakes about it. If you're a Broncos fan, you should expect them to be a top four side than anything could happen. Can Titans get off the bottom? Oh, Jesus. I don't think so. I, and I don't, <laughs> I'm not being rude. I don't think so. I really don't. I don't. And I don't know who they're going to play there with. It, it's a tight comp down there now. Like, the Titans could, you know... The, you know They've only got to win five lot. games, don't they, to go better than last year? Yeah, they do. But you know what? They can do it. Mm. But it's just they've got to have to, you know, they're going to have to be consistent. Ash Taylor's a big part. He'll talk in the next couple of days. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to actually say. He's been silent since he left there last year. So interesting times ahead for everybody. Origin winner, final question. Oh, please. Queensland. 100%. Buy panels. I've even got Condi and I bought a pair of cowboy shorts out there. That's dirty for a New South Welshman. <laughs> well, you. Yeah, don't do that. I mean, yeah, yeah. You'll be shearing sheep with them, mate. They like, they like the way he makes his thighs look, Dobbo. He's been wearing them all week. Hey, ben Dobbin, the voice of rural Queensland, thanks very much for your time. And uh, you can be heard each and every day from 9am here on the Resonate Network. Good on you guys. Have a good one. Cheers. Back with the summer edition, heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. And it's all thanks, and a big thanks in that, to the Australian Mung Bean Association, Nick. Oh, what the... Uh, yes, welcome to From the Stands. This is our segment where we like to get a passionate supporter of sport, someone who follows the game and has their own thoughts on it. And uh, today we've got a very special guest in the studio. Parco, roll out the red carpet. I tell you what, I don't get nervous often, but sitting next to this man, he's... Oh, let's be honest, he's a hero of mine. Uh, Bobby Cooper. Bobby, how are you, champion? Uh, very well, thank you. Now, a bit of a bit of an introduction. Yeah, so Bobby, just first of all, you, we can't let you come onto the radio without sharing a few of your sporting highlights, your top three moments. Obviously, long jump comes to mind. Most definitely, uh, <laughs> during my school days, under seventeen, Victorian schoolboy champion. Yeah, oh. I had the longest competitive jump I think in Australia for my age group. Outstanding. At that time. Now, AF, uh, VFA at the time. It's VFA at the time. Yes, two years. At Paran. Unfortunately, I couldn't crack a permanent place in the side. How close were you to cracking a, a first I think spot? in uh, two seasons I was there as an 18, 19-year-old. I originally went there to play under-18s, but I ended up playing half the season in the firsts and half oh. a season in the seconds. Yep. And uh, the seconds won the grand final, 
and I won the best and fairest for the seconds that oh, year. There you go. And, and not and not about cricketer either. I remember <laughs> uh, fast bowler for uh, played firsts for uh, Geelong Grammar. Yes, I I did. Uh, I was the opening bowler, and uh, I had a very good season, and uh, I topped the bowling averages, came fifth in the batting averages, and. Uh, I can't remember the sports writer of the, of the age newspaper at the time, but they proclaimed me the best all-rounder in the Associated Public Schools. And we talk about your batting well, average Bobby, probably. I hope you kept your boots because they're looking for an all-rounder for the Australian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say the birdcage cricket side. Um, Bobby, your average, you the, the fifth best average, but you average more than a, a pretty prominent um, Australian I, batsman. I think I averaged uh, off the top of my head about 55. Yep. And uh, had a bowling average of about nine. Gee whiz. You made a comeback too later on in the career for Wardell <laughs> Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Watts has only brought this up. Yes, we did make a comeback at Wardell Fitz and I was about 50 years of age. I opened the batting with him. We had a mighty, mighty opening partnership of about 114. I made a brisk. Dave Warner like 71 before I was dismissed. <laughs> Andrew Watts was not out. And as I walked out, I said, geez, mate, you've only made 30 of this. Your effort's equivalent of Jeff Boycott going in the batting for England. And I said, Go head down. You've got to beat my score. And he looks at me and he says, no way can I beat that. Well... I made 71 and he made 72. <laughs> well, it did, it took me four hours, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, cricket's changed a lot over the years, hasn't it? Now, we used to love sitting on the dog track at the Gabba watching the Test match. <laughs> Nowadays, it's all the wham-bam, thank you, cricket. Is it for the better? No, I don't think so. I'm a purist. I'd rather watch Test cricket any day. Bobby, what about the players? Oh, hey, Bobby. Oh, sorry, Mr. Backstrom. I was just going to say the players now. I think that the whole player mentality has changed in terms of it's a lot more professional, I would say, now. Can you relate to someone? Is there someone in the current side that you can relate to that you, that you really like that stands out for you? Oh, crikey, that's hard. Probably. No, I don't really think so. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Talk I'd, about ra Australia. I'd rather see Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson opening the bowling than yeah, the right. current lot. Now, 29 Galar Street's Bobby's uh, residential address. and That's where the fan mail needs to be sent. <laughs> now, Harvey Norman delivered five TVs last year. Uh, he pulls them off the wall when they don't kick straight in the AFL. Now, you do. You, you, you're up these full forwards because they can't kick straight. What, what's gone wrong with AFL? What's wrong with the kicking? Well, the thing today is they all do drop punts. And I don't think... Uh, they're as canny and as good and as well prepared as the full forwards, particularly of yesteryear. We don't have the great full forwards anymore. There's no Pratt's or Gazales, Dunstall's, Lockett's. And uh, the, the game's changed too. It's, it's, a, it's a whole lot different. It's, um, yeah, know, well, a friend of mine who follows the game a lot more closely than I, I've put this to him, I said, the kicking drives me nuts. And they said they've got a lot less time to kick now because the game is much more paced. Oh, the game is far good. quicker. Yeah, the game's yeah. far quicker. And uh, they're a lot fitter too. You've got to remember this. They're full-time athletes, whereas the players yeah, in the true. past weren't full-time athletes. Now, yeah, yeah. Now, Bobby, we talk about full-time athletes. Now, you got to nurture one of the great sporting prospects in Andrew Watts, <laughs> who's sitting across from you now. And I know um, you mentioned before he got the 72 with the 71. Now, junior sport... 
Um, and, and Nick and, and we've all seen the massive change in junior sport just recently I know rugby league has announced there's no trophies there's no um, no match winners um, in games what do you think of that in terms of you know competitive sport for you know your under 12s I, I personally think it's a bit ridiculous uh, what are your thoughts there well most definitely I, I think at the end of the season you should acknowledge your better players even at junior sport I mean if they win a premiership they all get a medal. Mm. So why not take it a step further and say, right, best player, most improved, most courageous. You can offer a, a number of uh, titles to three or four young people. Yes, I but, think... But Bobby, let's go away from medals. It's even the games themselves. Like These, these young under-12 athletes are playing against a side and they're not keeping score. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why bother playing a game? Yeah, and that's exactly right. You be, the trouble with that is you don't have a mental winning attitude. Mm, yeah. There's and no it flows po- on to life. Yeah, but there's no point in playing the game. You go out there to whop the opposition every time. doesn't matter if you're <laughs> 10 years of age or not. Yeah. Now, Bobby, before we let you go, and um, we could sit here all day and chat, we, we spoke <laughs> to one of the great uh, referees, um, Gavin, Badger. League, Gavin Badger, earlier in the show. And... You spent a bit of time on the Northern Rivers Districts and New South Wales refereeing AFL, and there's a particular story I want you to wind back to. Against it was Ballina versus Nimbin. Now Nimbin, Nimbin were getting beaten twenty goals to one behind, and you set their score to zero. <laughs> yes, I remember that. But, uh, the, a brawl broke out just before half time, and yes, the score was right. It was about fifteen, sixteen goals to one behind, and anyhow. <laughs> the ball breaks out and go in to break it up and all of a sudden I look round and here's the Nimbin reserves jumping the fence and coming onto the ground and joining in the brawl. So I pulled them all aside and made a count and I said, sorry fellas, you got 20 on the ground when only 18 should be there. <laughs> so I then went up, <laughs> I then went up and uh, told the goal umpires to nullify the score, which they didn't. I'm walking off the ground at half time, going to the umpires change shed <laughs> Got his Nimbin supporter, this silly woman, chased me with her umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she can catch up. But I've got, I've got one better than that as a story. I, I thought I was a very fair umpire. And I'm playing a game, or I'm umpiring a game, and it's between Byron Bay. No, it was Mawoolambar and Ballina. And anyhow, I turn round and I see the Ballina full forward give this guy a belt in the face with his elbow and anyhow I'm not going to report it and I look at the guy and I oh, know he does it. he looks all right and five minutes later I look at him and he, yeah, his eyes just about falling out <laughs> so I come to it comes to the quarter time break and I'm, I'm walking over to the umpire's orange juice station and uh, I pass this guy with his eye hanging out I said I haven't reported him but I'll give you a chance to get even. <laughs> so, anyhow, I bounce the ball for the start of the second quarter. The ball goes down to the Wollumbar forward line. <laughs> Look, Rad, and here's the bell of the fullback, flatten his back, <coughs> out cold. <laughs> I never saw a thought. Never saw a thing. <laughs> I thought that was fair, though. You're old school, Bobby. <laughs> yep, I definitely am. Uh, so any junior clubs looking for referees, Bobby's <laughs> put his hand up. To uh, Bobby Cooper, thanks very much uh, for your time this afternoon and uh, contribution to the summer edition here on the Resonate Network. Thank you.
Yes, it's uh, been the summer edition uh, for this 25th day of January 2020. Plenty of Australia Day celebrations happening right across regional Queensland. Get onto your local uh, council's Facebook page or website for up-to-date details. I know out here in the west in Longreach, a couple of have to have been moved inside. Um, but hey, who can begrudge anybody getting rain? Big thanks to Peter Moody, Hannah Clark from Queensland Cricket, Gavin Badger, Andre Moore... Also, Rupert McCall, Ben Dobbin and Bobby Cooper from the stands. Uh, another great addition. Yeah, and well done for everyone being involved and it. it's great to be back in Longreach and I'm going to go enjoy a nice little birthday uh, birthday cake. Let's go with that. I now, think some of Nick's is still left over from Wednesday. Well, Nick's, Nick's away, obviously, and I'm going to have a little... My topic here is minnows in sport to take us out. We saw Japan play in the ICC's Under-19 World Cup and anybody who says that was worthwhile is kidding themselves. They were pathetic. They were hopeless. Oh. They can't bat, can't bat. Oh, Joe the cameraman, there was 20 of them. Would they have beat Pakistan who come and toured with us? It depends if they bet on themselves. <laughs> but look, Japan stunk. Um, there's another uh, minnow over there, Nigeria. Forget about them. They've got no money. They've got no future in the sport. Boys, I know it's all about participation, but they're having a lend of themselves. Oh, look, um, yeah, I... I Rugby World Cup had been criticised for some time for the minnows. Yeah, they get absolutely thumped by uh, the big teams in New Zealand. But and with support from the other unions and the um, IC, what are, who runs, uh, I don't know whoever runs rugby, um, they've come a long way. And we see that particularly with Japan in rugby, who uh, were not only uh, ran a great tournament, but were a very competitive team. So it may be you do have to wear these terrible performances at first as the first uh, step on the road to something big, bigger and better. And I agree 100 Watson, you're very passionate about this. I completely disagree. How <laughs> do we expect these countries to get better if we don't expose them to the best? I remember at the Sydney Olympics, Eric the Eel, um, the Namibian uh, swimmer, who swam in a great pair of DTs, finished about 14 minutes behind everybody else. And what did he go on to do? I think he came eighth at the African Championship. So if we begrudge them from this, they're not going to go on to bigger and better things. Oh, look, I might be being a little bit harsh, but I stand by my judgment that... You know, how the hell did they even qualify? Well, who did they beat? Imagine who they beat. <laughs> Pakistan. <laughs> yeah, they bet on themselves. <laughs> and hello to our Pakistani followers out there. No, but look, it, it does beg the question, you know, where is cricket going? I know the 50-over games, it's in limbo, isn't it? Because T20 and Test Match, and it's sort of the redundant third cousin now. Bit, yeah, yeah. Well, how, how ridiculous is no tri-series after the, usually Australian yeah. summer? I mean, Australia Day is on... Yeah. Sunday, tomorrow, and, you know, where's the, where's the series? It's Big Bash. Yeah, anyway, food for thought, boys. Uh, have a good week. We'll catch up again next week for, I think it's about the fourth last summer edition. Jeez, we're oh, getting God. close to the end. But you know what that means, don't you? NRL's getting very close. It is. Getting a bit excited. Nick Bax from Safe Travels Home. Thank you very much. See you uh, very soon. And uh, it's been the summer edition. Thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, heard right across regional Queensland. Have a great week.